Hello, everyone, and welcome to Level the Field Leadership. My name is Dr. Rachel Gallardo, and I am super, super excited for today's guest. Um, first and foremost, if this is your first time, then welcome. And if you're returning, just be sure to comment and subscribe so you can be notified every time new content is posted. Um, because you've probably read the description, the whole point of this podcast is to help level the field of challenges you encounter in the work environment by giving you the tools necessary to deal with whatever might come up. I do believe that workplace burnout is very real and anything that we can do to reduce burnout fatigue in our leadership roles will ultimately have a positive impact on our team. And you know what, quite frankly, the reason why I'm so excited about today's guest is sometimes you're burned out because you're not doing what you should be doing. And our guests will talk a little bit more about that here in just a minute. So to give you a little bit of information, uh, Ken Rusk is a best-selling author, entrepreneur, and blue-collar advocate that proves there is no degree needed to achieve, com achieve comfort, peace, and freedom. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now, Ken is a very successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. Ken specializes in mentoring and has coached hundreds of young people in areas such as short, mid, mid and long-term goal setting, life visualization, career paths, and sound financial planning. He is passionate about helping people achieve their dreams, regardless of their educational background or past. And in Ken's book, Blue Collar Cash, he shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. So Ken, hi. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm happy that you're here. I mean, you've got a tremendous background and um, like I, you and I were kind of talking before, I actually have read most of the book, so I can attest to everything that I just read really and truly is accurate. Um, I do like to kind of base our conversation off of scripture. So for today's scripture, it is 1 Corinthians 10 31. So whatever, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So in your book, Amen to you that. Mentioned, <laughs> yeah, in your mention, that there was a there was a turning a turning point in your life where you had a conversation with your dad and you just knew that going to college was not going to be the right fit for you. So can you kind of share with the audience like what that conversation looked like, where you were kind of at at that moment and what made you just say, you know what, that's it. I've decided my path and I'm going all in. Well, you know, it's interesting because I had four brothers and I was number of uh, I was number four in, in, in the list of five. Okay. So for some reason, when, when I was in high school, there was this thing called shop class and, you know, you could walk down the hallway in my high school and you could, and we had a very Midwestern, it wasn't a, a higher end by any stretch. It was very, very great school, but you could walk down the hallway and, and Rachel, you could see somebody fixing the transmission on an old Mustang, or you could see somebody doing someone's hair or nails, or you could see somebody welding something or wiring an outlet or building a doghouse, whatever. You could see people actually getting involved in this. And so millions of kids across the country, all, I mean, through all walks of, they, they actually accidentally discovered how cool it was to be in, the, in one of these trades. Sure. So what, what happened was right when I was getting out of high school, they started to eliminate those those shop classes and they filled those rooms with computers. I mean, obviously we needed to learn computers, but why did it have to be one or the other? You know, I, I, right. we should have had both. So now you have this situation where 
there's opportunities out there to make a lot of money, have a great life, work with your hands, build and create things. It's, it's amazing. And yet you're getting kind of corralled away from that into it's got to be college or else. So the conversation that I had with my father was, listen, I know that we're on this thing now where we're all supposed to just, you know, blindly walk through a four-year degree and pay for it and 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 maybe have debt at the end of that. Mm-hmm. Um and then hope you get a good job afterwards. And I said, I, I don't necessarily want to disappoint you here, but I have this opportunity to go out and hands-on open companies, branch offices of the company I was working for, for from scratch mm-hmm. uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and do that across the Midwest. And I thought to myself, wouldn't that be a pretty cool college education to learn firsthand you know, right. even be able to make mistakes with other people's money, as they say, right. and um, and get it figured out. And so he said, you know what? He said, that opportunity sounds to me like what you would potentially learn in a business class anyway. So why don't you just go out in, into the real world and do that mm-hmm. and, and see how it goes for you? So yeah, it was a turning point for me, but I'm, I'm sure I'm glad I decided to take that route. Yeah. Yeah. And you you talk a little bit about your dad's story and how he, how he started off and then what he was able to build his entire business out of, which was truly remarkable. So it, it kind of parallels what he was encouraging you to do because he kind of walked that path as well and he knew what you were going to learn. And I think that's a really valuable thing. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, imagine if you will, a 12 year old, okay, getting up in the summertime and getting on a train to go to downtown Cleveland and then getting on a bus and then once you, he got to his final destination, taking copies of legal documents because we didn't have like fax machines and email and all that stuff back then. <laughs> sure. And literally getting in cabs and driving around the city delivering these documents. It's crazy to think that a 12-year-old would do that. And But right. yet that was that was the thing that was kind of normal. It was like a, he was like a newsboy, you know? So, right. um, but yeah, he, 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 he actually climbed his ladder himself. He was a self-made guy. And... Um, I think, I think because of that, sometimes they, you know, they think, well, maybe I got lucky or maybe, maybe I worked hard. Maybe that opportunity isn't there anymore. So maybe mm-hmm. I should make sure my kids all get a college education. It just isn't true. It, it, it wasn't true then. It isn't, it certainly isn't true now. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we'll spare everybody the statistics. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm a nerd and I like the math. And so I'm glad that you included the stats about, um, you know, this, the, the different um, workers that are in such short supply um, and why it, it takes so long to, to get stonemasonry or plumbers or whatever and kind of the trajectory of all of that. So, you know, I, I think you you have some um, really valuable points and there might be some people that are listening right now like, okay, Rachel, hold on. You went all the way and got, you know, a PhD. Okay, well, I had to do that because I wanted to go teach at a college and to, to teach at a college, you know, higher education coordinating board says you have to do certain things. But as an instructor, I do encounter students that don't want to be in college that are only doing it because they, they think that they have to please their, their parents or they have to reach this, this certain goal that involves a certain degree. And that's just, that's just simply not true. And I'm really, really um, mindful of time. And time is the one thing that once you spend a heartbeat, you don't get that back. And, you know, we want to make sure that no matter what people decide to do, that they're, that they're doing it with their whole heart, which is kind of where the scripture inspires from as well. You know, they, they talk about, there was a good book and I, um, the, the title is escaping me right now, but one of the things that it talks about is 
it takes 10,000 hours to master almost anything, mm-hmm. whether you're mm-hmm. in sports or whether. So I would bet that you have at least 10,000 hours in getting your PhD, right? From the time you first went to college to the yeah. time that you got it, probably no, more. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the comparison is you put the work in. That's sure. what you did. You put the work in and you earned that, that degree. Well, to become someone who's really good at being a finished carpenter and to knock down 150,000 a year, you're going to have 10,000 hours in learning how to become a finished carpenter. And it's the sure. same path that you took, just in a different form. Sure. And that's the thing that people need to understand that, you know, if, if, if supply and demand teaches us anything, it's that simple supply and demand means supply where supply is low and demand is high. That's where the money goes. Sure. And that's exactly what's happening in, in our world right now, because so many kids are getting funneled into college. So many kids are growing up with iPhones in their hand instead of rakes and shovels and hammers and <laughs> that kind of sure. thing. Yeah. And, um, and colleges are really good at shaming, you know, I'm not anti-college. Okay. Like you said, you had a specific path. Sure. You want to be a surgeon. You got to do that. If you want to be a a dentist or you want to be a accountant or whatever, you have to do that. But there's a specific job waiting for you at the other side. My problem is where colleges kind of vortex all these kids into their system that don't necessarily know what the heck they're going to do. And they still take their money. (laughs) And even though they don't have a job when they come out, they still keep their money. And um, so they're pretty good at, at, at that whole corral thing with with, you know, letting teachers and guidance counselors and, you know, whatever, and even parents. Hey, if your kid doesn't do this, he's not going to amount to much or she's not going to amount to much. It's, it's just crazy. Sure. Sure. And part of being a good leader is kind of shifting the focus and, and helping whoever it is that you're talking to, or if you, even if you're thinking about it for yourself, and um, I'm going to get to that here in just a little bit, because I know that there are people that are currently listening to this right now that don't like what they're doing. They don't like the industry that they're in. And so they might be thinking about, you know what, I think I want to go and be a baker, or I think I want to go and start that, that tattoo, um, you know, company or, or whatever it is. My, I want to do something with my hands because I get more fulfillment with that. And they might be reluctant on how to make that transition. But before we get to that point, there was something else that was really interesting. I thought in your book, you talked about in chapter three, that the triangle um, for great entrepreneurs in general is really focusing on those ideas of comfort, peace, and freedom. Can you expand upon that a little bit and what that looks like from a leadership perspective? So I did an experiment once and I took some people and I said, okay, I want you to draw your favorite vacation on the poster board. And I gave them all box crayons. Mm-hmm. There's 20 people in the room. And wouldn't you know it, all 20 of those posters came back completely different from one another. Okay. Imagine that. Imagine that. So that led me to believe that everyone's nirvana is their own vision, their own version of what their best life could be. And, and the nirvana really breaks down in my mind. And again, I'm, I'm certainly not trained to know this, but my, in, in my mind, it broke down to comfort, peace, and freedom. And when I, when, when I first started getting the idea for writing Blue Collar Cash, my, my daughter was, was sick, actually. She, um, she suffered from cancer for a few years and really scary time for her mother and I watching her go through this. But you have a lot of time to sit in waiting rooms and (laughs) radiology offices and all that kind of stuff. And so I thought about what if if I could talk to her, if I could write her a letter about what should she be chasing in life? What 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 would I how would I answer that? Mm -hmm. And the words comfort, peace and freedom kept coming back because in my mind, that is each one of us, our own unique nirvana that we can create. And it's not all going to be 
15 cars and McMansions and yachts and, you know, a career in the recording industry. I mean, that's not going to be that way for all of us. So decide how you want your life to look. Pick out the things that you want that you would say, man, if I could live like that, that would be really cool. That would be my nirvana, my comfort, peace and freedom triangle. So I kind of put that out there because I wanted people to understand that only you know what your perfect envisioned life could be. Only you know what that looks like, feels like, what it's, I mean, the whole thing. So trust yourself to know that you know what you want for yourself. Give yourself that credit and don't look to others as comparison or don't look to authoritative figures as that's the only answer. Mm-hmm. You know what your favorite things are. So put those on a big board and let's go after them one piece at a time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are really scared to do that. Um, You know, something else you mentioned in your book is just the number of people that number one, don't even bother to set a goal. Number two, they, they set goals and then they don't ever look at them again and they never modify them. And it really comes down to, there's a, there's a very small 1% of people that actually write down their goals, evaluate their goals on a regular basis and actually work towards their goals. So it's kind of like, you know, the other 99%, what are you actually doing? You know, we're, we're oftentimes where we stay stuck and it's because of our own making when there are some things that are within our control that we can, we can do to kind of go in the direction that we want to go in. And and Rachel, the reason that is, in my opinion, is because we all lead such reactive lives. We react to all the stimulus. We react to the problems and the challenges and the time constraints and the weather. And we react to the financial condition. And we react to all these things that are coming at us instead Mm -hmm. of stopping and putting our hands up and saying, no, 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 I'm going to start proacting to life. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to choose the stimulus that I want to react to. I'm going to, I'm going to proact. Okay. Instead of waiting for life to happen to me, I'm going to happen to my own life. And that's, what's interesting about that one, that one person out of 99, it's so easy and it's free and it requires little or no training at all. Right. To sit down and write out what you want your life to look like, draw it out as crystal clearly as you can, and then hang it on the wall where you see it every single day. I've been doing this for a very long time, and I teach everyone in my office to do the same thing. And it, it's just crazy to me why we wouldn't teach people to be self-reliant rather than reliant on the systems. Why wouldn't we teach people to be proactive instead of reactive? We're really good at training people how to react to things. Right. Let's let's start teaching them the opposite of that. And, um, you know, you, you'll have some people, whole groups of people, which is my mission to live in an anticipatory fashion, meaning anticipating mm-hmm. the things that life is going to bring them rather than waiting for them to happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's 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 a whole different way to live. But once people start looking at it from that light, they go, man, has the light bulb turned on for me? I didn't realize this was even out there. And it's just a very simple process to get done. Sure. And if we, if we're able to actually do that, you know, if you're in a leadership position, or even if you're not in a leadership position, whenever you push things off and you say, no, this is how I'm going to live my life. That gives you the opportunity to embrace new opportunities when they emerge. If you're constantly like rushing and going and having everything else dictate how you spend your time throughout the day, if something, if a new opportunity, you know, presents itself, you're going to be so swamped in the, the, task management of your day that you might miss that opportunity. And I think that that's a really valuable thing to consider. I mean, if you're not working in an area of comfort, peace, and freedom, where you really experience that, there's no telling what else you could be missing out on. 
I think what happens is we all feel, you know, there's this, there's a chapter in the book about the five gallon bucket head, right? Yes. <laughs> and, yes. And, and we, we all fill that bucket so overflowing. I mean, we're trying to put six, seven, eight gallons in that at all, this, all the time. And what it really does is it stifles things like creativity. It stifles things like vision. It stifles things like spontaneity. I mean, when's the last time anyone was spontaneous? Okay. Hey, let's call up our neighbor. Let's get in the car and let's drive out and go visit a winery or let's go to the museum or whatever. And what happens every time that happens, Rachel, people say, man, am I glad I did that? We should do that more often. Well, right. of course you should, because that's what life is really all about. And like you said, to receive the gift of, wow, there's a thought that I hadn't had. Maybe I could be that or maybe I could do that or maybe I could accomplish this. Mm -hmm. You can't have that thought if you're loaded down with stressors and like, like schedules and debt and time constraints. And it, it, it's not. So I think, I mean, right now I'm looking at you and you're kind of sitting in a dark place, which I love. I, th I think we all need to take some time and sit in a dark place and go, who am I? And yeah. what am I doing? Right? Yeah. 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 Whew. Okay. Good stuff. So I want to, I want to kind of reflect on you for just a little bit. So we've, we've hit some really great nuggets in your book that again, I'm, I'm on chapter seven and I thoroughly am going to finish the last three chapters, but um, you know, you talked about being in leadership and doing what you do for the last 30 years. And I think too often people think that as a leader um, that once they get to X, Y, Z point that they will have finally arrived. Well, you and I know that leadership really and truly is a journey and there's always things that we're constantly working on. So at this moment, you know, June 5th of 2023, what are you currently working on in your leadership? What are you still trying to improve upon or what is something that you're really focused on? Well, what, one of the things that I think all managers should, should be is anyone who's in charge of a, a group of people, and what does even in charge mean? But anyone who, who works for another group of people, your goal should be to make yourself as irrelevant to that process as possible. And I know that spooks a lot of people who are real control freak business owners or control managers because they're like, oh, I fixed this and I did that and I changed this and I altered that and I inspired this and I, I made that new wrong okay if you're that if they're that company or that that division is that reliant upon you that they would fail without you then you're not doing it right sure. and in my again in my opinion so i i'm constantly working on creating entrepreneurs that that can surround us in, within this company people who who act and feel like they're in control of their own company their own version of their own division their own uh, whatever that might be department whatever and they're in control of all the aspects of it so therefore they feel like they're running their own company within mine i'm i'm constantly trying to find more entrepreneurial like thinkers and we have a lot of them which is why we have a lot of a lot of long term loyalty here which is really cool but I, i've got a lot of things going we're we're, we're doing another another headquarters for our company. This is the fourth one. You'd think wow. by now I'd get good at figuring out how big we're going to get, but I haven't. Um, I'm going to be a grandfather here uh, in, at the end of the year, so I'm pretty oh, psyched about that. Yeah. Um, thank you. I don't really like the word grandfather so much, but um, I'm thinking more like older person with a granddaughter. Sure. <laughs> so um, <laughs> only because I don't feel like I'm, I'm ready to be, I'm, I'm old enough to be a grandfather, but I'm going to sure. be, which is so cool. Um, but but yeah, I'm I'm constantly working on 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 my sport, which is one of my balance my you know my balancers in life, my golf game. I'm constantly working on um, my relationships with people, and um, you know there's lots of investments I'm still doing. I'm working on this book project. I'm working on a course that I built for the book, which mm -hmm. takes the book and forces you to actually change your life. 
And nice. um, we're doing some speaking stuff. We're working with the military. We're working with some, well, believe it or not, some women's prisons groups with, with the project. And yeah. there's just a lot of cool things happening, which which is cool because I get to wake up and anticipate a lot of things, which is what I preach all the time anyway. So I don't sure. think you should uh, preach something if you're not willing to do it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I like that you said that you are really trying to hire entrepreneurial mindset people for the organization. You know, if, if somebody has an entrepreneurial mindset, then that means that they really and truly take ownership of whatever it is that they're responsible for. And people that own their work generally have a passion for the work. And man, they're going to give you like the best of the best. Well, if I could put this one thing out, I, I, I say this to all 200 of our people as often as I can, probably to the point of ad nauseum, but they... I tell them, I said, look, I can't get what I want, nor can my company get what it wants or needs until all of you get what you want first. Mm. And it's absolutely true. I mean, they are the input. I am usually near the output stage or even after the output stage. So I win at the end of the line. But mm. I love watching all the winning happening before it's my turn. And I, and I, I can tell you that if you do that, your the people that surround you once they once they believe that you actually believe that and and you know that's who, how we do it here we we walk the walk we don't just talk the talk sure your your company will go to heights never seen before by you and you alone i guarantee that you know because there's only so much of you and you are only so good much less how you think you are <laughs> sure um, but to have the talents and the skills of all these people that that truly believe they're working for themselves first and for you second, that's the magic right there. Sure. Sure. So let's say that somebody listening right now is 17, 18, 19 years old, and they know that they don't want to go to college. Maybe they're already enrolled. Maybe they're even taking classes right now, but it's just in their core. They know that this is not where they belong. Um, what do you say to them? First thing I would say is this, uh, there has never in my lifetime been a better opportunity for someone to job shop that there is right now, meaning try something. And if you try something, try something else, try everybody is looking for people that can come in and help them right now. Everybody is. And mm -hmm. it's because we've underproduced people that are willing to work with their hands and we've overproduced, you know, these bland business or liberal arts degrees that you come out and you don't even know what you're going to use it for. Sure. So that that pendulum has fully swung way to the to the one side right now. And that creates an opportunity for someone to say, I'm going to go out and try a lot of different things and see if there's something that 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 I can be passionate about. Now, there's one caveat to that. If you're good at organizing people, OK, then don't be afraid to do what everybody else isn't doing. And that might not even be the, the you know, the, the, the sexiest thing out there. You know, digging ditches was number 99 out of a list of 100 things that I was going to do. Sure. But having the, having the ability to organize people and to, and to love the, the group think and, and the social aspect of that and, and people being able to win as a group, that is everything. So, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> excuse me, don't be afraid to go where others aren't going because that's usually where the money is as well. Sure, sure. And that's something that really transfers over no matter what industry you're talking about, you know, it, and, and with the development of AI, you know, it really is a lot of people are really freaking out, especially in my, my area. Like there's just a number of people that are really on edge about all this AI stuff, but an AI is not going to, or at least not right now, bake me a cake. An AI is not going to fix 
my toilet if it breaks. Like an AI is not going to repair my car if something happens to it. And so um, while there, we, there is a lot of technological advances and there's technology does have its place, um, just really considering what it is that you enjoy and what it is that you want to do can really be advantageous in the long run. Yeah, I, I think th there's two sides to this AI thing, okay? I remember that everyone was really freaked out about cloning. Remember that? Where people were thinking about cloning yes. people and they're like, yes. oh my God, I'm going to make another brother or <laughs> right. sister or, you know, <laughs> right. all, all this, they're, where they're going to clone all these bad people or whatever. Sure. So, and that didn't really materialize because I think everyone understood the responsibilities of that. So when it comes to AI, I, I think there are going to be some great advantages, especially in the medical field. I mean, I have a lot of friends that are doctors that say, man, this is crazy good. Some of the stuff that it's able to do. Mm -hmm. I do think, though, that, we're, that we will probably gain some control over how fast and far this thing goes. But to your point, I don't think anyone is ever going to invent a machine that walks up and puts dye in your hair and colors it a different color or plants a bush in someone's front yard or, or, you know, wires and all that. I just don't see that happening. Even, even with some of the compartmental building things where they, they build the walls completely in a factory and they put them up and then the wires and the outlets and the windows are already in it. Even that is taking, it's really slow to take, to take hold right now. I mean, in some places more than others, but Sure. The, the, the human aspect of creating something is still going to be there, I think, for a very, very long period of time until something drastically changes. But again, the, the opportunity, I mean, it used to be, and I'm aging myself now, I, I used to have to write my facts and figures down for the business on a piece of graph paper with pencils, okay? Nice. Um, yeah, I hate to say that, but that's how it happened. So now with a cell phone and a pickup truck, you can run your business from anywhere. Okay. Yeah. Payroll accounts, receivable accounts, payable, all that stuff. Sure. So it's never been easier for someone to say, you know what? I'm going to start a side gig. Okay. I'm, I know I'm into this thing that I'm doing. I don't really like it. I'm going to kind of slowly transition into this side gig and see if I can't make it a full-time thing. I've sure. seen that happen a bunch. And uh, again, it's opportunity has never been better to do something like that. Sure. So kind of um, switch into to the other side of that, you know, there, there could be somebody listening to this podcast right now. And they're just like, man, I really hate this job. I hate what I'm doing. I hate this nine to five. I, I don't, I don't like the people that I really work with. And I'm just, I'm kind of bored. I'm underwhelmed at this point, but I've been in my career for the last 10 years. You know, I've got those 10,000 hours, but I really want to go and do this other thing with my hands. I mean, what, what kind of advice do you give to them? What do you say to them? Well, first off, th there has to be something that they're good at with that 10,000 hours. Let's say they're good at organizing people or, or managing people, but they don't like the rest of it. Well, let's keep those skills. Let's not toss those skills because those are going to help you build that carpentry business, you know, to 30 people, not just one. Sure. So let, let's hang on to that. Okay. Let's not discard. Let's take with you like your Let's say you're moving out of your parents' house and there's some things you're going to take with you and there's some things you're leaving behind. Well, let's take those things that you want and keep them because those are valuable skills that you have. The other thing I would say is, you know, what really lights you up? I mean, are, are you a furniture builder or are you a small business owner or did you watch um, It's Complicated, the movie, and, and, and look at that bakery that she had and go, wow, that was a really cool bakery. If I could have that, that'd be, you know, that'd be the world. You know, there, there's a lot of, you just have to sit down and say, 
what do I think I would really enjoy doing and what skills do I have to bring to that, mm. that piece? Because the skills you have, you'll take the skills you don't have, you'll get, you'll sure. acquire those skills from either through other people or through stuff that you do. But again, I think you can really dip your toe in the water in a way that you could never do that before by running one of these internet-based businesses where, you know, I had a guy who built, um, uh, they're, they're like acrylic tables. They're, they're, they're called river, river edge tables where beautiful piece of wood. And then they fill the center of the cracks with epoxy and they're just gorgeous tables. Oh, but wow. this guy started building one on the weekend and then two and then five and then 10 and then 12. And pretty soon over a year period of time, he kind of transitioned into a full-time business left what he was doing at the, in the medical field, selling, selling medical supplies and, wow. and look at him now he has his own thing and he's loving it. So, yeah, I don't think the time has been any any riper to do something like that. And whether it takes you six months or a couple of years, don't rush it. You know, take the skills you have that you that you can use in this new entity and, and just kind of morph your way into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some wood and epoxy and an Instagram account and boom, you could be in a different career in a year. You are 100 percent right. And, 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 you know, God forbid you're good at social media. That, so <laughs> you can you can multiply your efforts and. And do right. those things that I certainly am not that good at. But um, yeah, I, I, I had a, I had a, a case in point. Guy was on the 15th floor and he was in some cubicle. He's selling medical supplies, never wanted to go to college. I wanted to be out working with his hands, loved construction. He worked on a construction site for a plumber when he was going through college. Loved it, camaraderie, the whole thing. He's miserable. He's 46 years old, I think. He says, I read your book. He said, I... I took a year, I slowly transitioned back into becoming this plumber, okay? And he said, I have never been happier in my entire life because nice. I, I, I didn't listen to what everybody else told me I had to do. Yeah. And I went out and did what I, what I knew was in my heart. And he's, you know, he's happy as a clam and loving life right now, so. Yeah, yeah. And that's that part of freedom. Whenever you really and truly don't care about other people's opinion about how until they pay your bills, it yeah. really doesn't matter. Like, oh, you don't like what I do? Well, write me a check and then I'll go do something else, right? Yeah, freedom Freedom takes a lot of, you know, obviously there's freedom of like being in a democracy, you're not, not, not an auth 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 authoritarian kind of thing. Sure. There, there's also freedom of thought, freedom of like, again, freedom of, of time, freedom of being not stressed out, maybe getting rid of some of those, those suppressors. And, and then the whole spontaneity thing. So freedom takes a lot of forms. And I think people need to understand that um, that your time and your sanity are worth a heck of a lot more than, <laughs> than most people think. So we should we should endeavor to figure out how to make that the best way it can be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think a career change is hard for anyone. And I, I say that from experience because um, I was in I was in corporate HR for almost 10 years. And for me, it, it got to a point where I, the only part of my job I enjoyed was the training and development piece. And so for me, I, I, that was a part of my transition into teaching as well. So, and it, I mean, I, I took a serious pay cut and I think sometimes people get really nervous about that part, totally understandable, especially the way that our economy currently is. But at the same time, it was, it was the best change that I could have ever made because I, for me personally, I, I didn't like where my thoughts were on a regular basis. I didn't like how my health was feeling. And I could like literally feel myself being run down because I was continuing to do something that I just, I wasn't enjoying anymore. Um, and if, I, I didn't mind the people I worked with. That wasn't really the issue. Of course, I was in HR, 
So it was a little bit different, but um, you gotta, you gotta do something that makes you excited. You've got to do something that you're really passionate about. And if you're excited and passionate about it, the work doesn't seem quite so cumbersome. Yeah. And there's a third piece to that. Okay. And for everybody out there listening right now, listen to what Rachel just said. First off, she listened to herself for after 10 years, she said, I'm going to start listening to myself now. Right. And secondly, she took the skills that she wanted to take with her when she left her parents' house. Right. (laughs) She, she took those skills with her metaphorically speaking and use them in her next endeavor. Right. So, but, and, and there's another piece added to that. You know, if you're filling in your life puzzle if you're filling in that life board that I'm asking you to draw and draw it out clearly with everything you want your life to look like, if things are starting to fill in there because of what you're currently doing, then yeah, it doesn't have to be the slickest job in the entire world. As long as, because again, we don't, we don't live to work. We work so that we can in fact live. Well, I want to know what your live means. Let's start with that. Maybe. Okay, because nobody ever rolled into my driveway and saw my house and my barns and my cars and whatever and said, holy cow, what degree do you have? I mean, no one's ever done that. <laughs> sure. Okay, they, they may drive up the driveway and say, man, how'd you grind this life out? And I'm happy to tell them all that story. Sure. But, you know, be careful because what, what really matters in the end is that you can say, I'm living the way I want to live. Okay. And there's a lot of different paths that can get you there. Sure. Some you know, again, I'm not necessarily passionate about buckets of tar and gravel and concrete, but I'm really passionate about building teams and having those teams win and having them win for themselves first and me second, and then driving a, a great customer experience, one that brings us more business in the end and a great reputation. That you can do. So sure. you don't have to love it all. You just have, sure. you have to love what you can be really effective at. Sure. No, I hear you. I mean, I don't, I don't always enjoy grading papers, but I do enjoy seeing students. Oh, that's how that works. Oh, yeah. like that light bulb, that aha moment. So I, right. I totally understand that. And I think that's great advice for anybody, no matter what career, what industry, where, where, where they're at in their professional livelihood. Like that's, that's wonderful advice. Um, well, we're kind of getting towards the end. So I like to use this moment to kind of open the floor and give you a two minute shameless plug of anything that you want to talk about, anything that's pressing on your heart, anything new you've got coming out, anything at all? Well, first off, let me just say that I believe that to whom much is given, much is expected. And I'm, I'm, I'm eternally grateful. And I, I'm so thankful that, that I've, got, I've had this success because it allows me to give back in major ways. And I've been doing it for years. Um, things like Make-A-Wish and Boys and Girls Clubs and Ronald McDonald House and all these things I've been doing for a very long period of time, not just with our, our money, but with our time, our talent, and our treasure, okay? The ability to have our whole staff go. So when I wrote this book, it was kind of a cathartic thing for me to do to give back to others so I could shorten the learning curve to entrepreneurship. That's kind of why I did it. You know, I didn't need to make a nickel from this book. Most, most authors don't, unless you're writing, you know, romance novels by the millions, but sure. So, <laughs> And, and what I did was I said, you know what, I'm going to take this a step further. So instead of this book becoming a, a trophy on the shelf that you can't remember, you read it, but you can't remember what's in it, like a lot of the books are, I developed this course. The course is $129. If you buy a course, you get a free $25 book and you get another course and a book to give away to somebody else for free. Nice. Okay. So this is not a gigantic investment. And I'm doing it because... I want, to make sh- I want to make sure that 
people, when they hear about Blue Collar Cash, oh yeah, I read that book. Did it change you? It changed my life, okay? I want people to say, it changed the way I think. It changed, it made me listen to me for a change. Sure. It made me focus on me first for a change. It made me become selfish in the most positive way selfish can be. And um, I wanted to force that issue with this course. So it's eight simple modules. It's like 45 minutes a module. You can do it in a week or eight weeks or a weekend. Sure. But I wanted people to take this and say, okay, I'm going to actually affect real change for me and, and make it happen. And it's going swimmingly. I've had a lot of people give me the great reviews about how it's going. So um, I hope people go out and, and find it and uh, take, not only help themselves, but help somebody else in the process. So, yeah, that's awesome. And I'm going to include all of your contact information, website, everything in the show notes. So if anybody wants to reach out to you or go visit that information on your website, then they'll have the ability to do this, do so. Um, I just want to say that I was, I was truly, again, just thankful that you, you wrote what you wrote. I think that it, that there's a lot of people that can really benefit from hearing it. And um, in addition to your dad, I was truly inspired by your daughter and also Minnesota man. So um, I'm really, I'm really glad that you included those in the book. So um, to those of you that are listening, if you, again, if you liked what you heard, please hit the subscribe button to receive new content. You can follow me on Instagram. As you guys know, I do try to post positive and consistent content related to leadership that you can use no matter where or whom you are leading. Um, again, I will include Ken's information in the show notes so you can follow him on Instagram. He's got Twitter. He's got all of the things. So go out and, and get some of that encouragement that you might need if you're going to be changing careers or if you're currently in that blue collar field. And Ken, thank you so much for, for joining me today and for just letting me pick your brain just a little bit to help the audience. Absolutely. Anytime, Rachel. Happy to do it and uh, happy to come back anytime. Awesome. So everyone listening, remember you are made to be a leader right where you are, wherever you're leading. The things we talked about today can help develop the roots of your leadership so you can weather any storm. Take care of yourself. Take care of your team. You can 1000% do this. And until next time. 